You know, I really appreciate you standing in and praying for folks and lifting them up. You know, we say we believe in prayer, so we should be praying. We should be doing it for all these things, for all of these things. We are going to continue on tonight. Are you okay, man? Okay. We are going to continue on tonight with uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Glad to see you all came back last night, or uh, tonight after last week. I know. You know what's funny about that? As you read the Word, there's so many times where you read things, and it um, kind of hits you right between the eyes, if, if you're willing to let it. And, you, and you've probably heard people say, and it's probably happened, where somebody said, well, I've read this portion of Scripture, and I've read it, I don't know how many times, but I saw something new in it I've never seen before. Has, has that happened with any of you? And I know, I, I love that Scripture is that deep, and God intended it to be that way. It's interesting how Scripture is simple yet complex. It's, it's as if he wrote it on different levels for all of us at different stages of our Christian experience and, and our ability to understand and the depth and the situations that we're in. And there's always a point at which he is going to use his word to deal with us, to work in us. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago that there's also, I believe, I really believe this, a spiritual feeding mysterious element to scripture god intended for it to be that way there's a reason he's preserved his word flawlessly throughout time it's not just so we as christians can be sure that this is the right book and it's saying the right things it's more than that i really believe that he intended for these words to be read at different times and to be spoken to us for our growth and our edification and challenge us i believe that let me share with you just a couple announcements I know a lot of ladies have been asking about this uh, Mandisa and Brit Nicole and Laura Story concert. It's coming up Sunday night. I talked to my wife right before service. She's teaching the Friends class right now for the Missionettes, and she said that there's a possibility that there's a few more tickets available, but they won't know about that till after tonight. So if you're interested still and didn't get a ticket, you might call the office and talk to Pam tomorrow if you're still interested in catching this concert. <clears throat> and men, we are... Uh, do you see yourself in that picture? <laughs> uh, men, we are putting together some groups for men. And these are going to be groups that are going to meet uh, weekly. Going to be groups. We're trying to match it with where guys are available. Now, there is a group of guys. And if you are, I love getting up early. Not usually this early, but every Thursday, there's a group of guys we meet at 530 at the Perkins, the one right, right over there by uh, Walmart and Sam's Club, you know, the new one. So there is a group of guys that have been doing that for months now. It, it's amazing. Sometimes, you know, we're reading through the book of Hebrews, some of the insights that come out, and I was, this really happened. I was, somebody asked me, hey, I missed, how'd it go? And I, I said, man, about four guys cried, and, you know, they thought I was kidding. I was serious. It just happened that some of the things that were discussed, and some of the, one of the guys talked about, you know, uh, losing his daughter, and what that had gone through, and the faith that, that it built in him, and that led another guy to share something that, you know, it, it was amazing. And it was God doing a work in people's hearts. And, you know, guys a lot of times don't get that opportunity. So we are putting some men's groups together. If you're interested in, you know, maybe being a part of that, and there's certain times that you might be available. Obviously, 530 is not going to work for everybody. But if that does work for you, obviously, Thursday would be a great time. Now, can, can you read this? It looks so much better on my computer screen in my office. But we have some great Sunday school classes 
And they, they've started in the last couple weeks, you know, some of the classes have been ongoing and never had a break. Some of them are brand new. For instance, Phil Brewer is speaking, teaching a class on spiritual gifts and spiritual warfare and how that relates together. When I talked to him about what he wanted to do for a class, this is one of the classes where I thought, man, I would love to be at this class. Because this is something we don't often talk about in church a lot. I mean, we do occasionally, but not often. Where is your faith? Tim Davis, uh, he just, he's, he's not here again tonight, is he? I love talking about him when he's not here. He's just wired different. In, in a really intriguing way. And I, he's really an interesting guy. Andrea, many of you know Andrea. I was just talking with her right before service. She was there a minute ago. Okay. And she, uh, she just got back from a speaking tour in Illinois. How many women got saved? 26. That's amazing. Praise God for that. That is just amazing. And then I'm in the middle of a membership class. We have, we have 18 people in there. It's really cool. People who are newer to the church or people who've been at the church for a while but, but want to become official members of the church. I'm excited about that. We are, by the way, going to be doing a welcome luncheon for them and then for any of you who are newer to the church and you just want to meet the, the staff and kind of get to know us a little bit. In two weeks after the service, we're going to do that. For better, for worse, this is an ongoing class for kind of, kind of younger married couples and Trent and Rolanda Salisbury are leading this class. Pathways, PJ McGovern has been teaching this class for many years and she is a fun teacher too. If you it, and she reminded me, this is not limited, she said, this is her words, not mine, to old people, she said. And they are feisty. I wandered in there one day. I was just trying to get something. They are a feisty group. It's, it's fun. Life on Purpose, Aaron Woods, he, he's not in here because he's doing Royal Rangers. He's another very intriguing guy. If you get some time and uh, want to have your mind bent a little bit, it's kind of it's fun to spend some time. Like we had lunch this week, meeting about just some stuff, two hours. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I got to go. I got to go. You know, it just flew by. That's just how it is with him. They're interesting people. So good stuff. Coming up on the 24th is a movie, Courageous. If you have not seen this, it's a very good, challenging movie. We'd like to, for it to be an outreach for you, an opportunity maybe to invite some friends who haven't seen it before, kind of get them in the door at the church on a, at a non-church event, and uh, maybe also challenge them in their faith. And, and those are just some upcoming things. So let's talk about Corinthians. Quick, quick. Quick review. Actually, I was thinking it'd be fun for you to review. What have, what have we covered? What have you learned? Anything? Wonderful. <clears throat> that was quick. Church is not a building. Good. Thank you very much. Church is people. It's not a building. Anything else? Nothing? What? You can talk loud in church. I'm not so sure about that. She said, we're not as wild as they were. And they were wild. <clears throat> they were, they were, <clears throat> excuse me, former pagans. Maybe not as formally, not as recently pagan. As, maybe they were more recently pagan than us. And they lived in a very pagan society. Not a whole lot different than us. But different in some ways. You know, we don't necessarily have temple prostitutes today. But we certainly have prostitution. And we certainly have other things that are as, as, as egregious going on. Some other things, I love that Paul calls them saints in spite of the fact that they're recently Christians. Because sainthood isn't something that you earn, it's something that God gives us because you could never earn it. We're never going to be good enough anyway, but he gives it to us because that's how he is. 
Paul establishes the fact that he is their spiritual father. He reminds us all that he is a legitimate apostle. One of the, one of the tests for being apostles was you had to have been in, in Jesus' presence. And Paul did that. Jesus came to Paul, showed himself to Paul. We also know that uh, this church struggled with a lot of issues. One of the issues, they had factions. They attached themselves to different leaders that had come and preached at the church. So much so that Paul had to correct them on that. And he needed to point out to them that, it, that their pride in who they were attached to and also their pride in spirituality and wealth was foolishness. And he pointed out to them that all these leaders are literally servants, gifts of God to the church and servants of Christ. He, he went on to talk about how one waters, an, or one plants, another waters, but the growth and the increase comes from God. So the credit doesn't necessarily go to any one person. So the pride should not be in that. The pride should be in Christ. So we go from that, and now he's going to really start dealing with some interesting things. You know, I love I lo- I, I to talk to people about Christianity and their faith. And I'm in an ongoing discussion with a guy right now over the Internet who is, uh, he's, he's a homosexual and he's really angry, at, well, at me right now, but at the church in general. But one of the things we've been talking about is, he, see, he wants to pick and choose what parts of the Bible he thinks are legitimate and to be read and believed. And um, so in this discussion, one of the things I pointed out to him is, don't you see that that in Scripture, if they were trying to fake it, they would have made it look better. They would have made the church look better. Instead, look how this starts. Paul in chapter 5, verse 1 says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Guys, if it was fake, they would have cleaned this up. We wouldn't have been bragging about this and putting it in print for 2,000 years. Just wouldn't have. He says something that even the pagans don't do. Now, this society was very pagan. So if he's saying it's that bad, it's, it was, this was something that they didn't even do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Interesting. This is interesting. They're proud of what? Are they compromising? What, what are they doing here? What is this church doing? Why wouldn't they have called this sin out? We wonder... I mean, you look at this scripture and you wonder, was it, were they just trying to be so kind and Christian to everybody that they forgot what it meant to be Christian? Did they not want to admit that, that sin was sin? Or maybe they were just afraid to deal with it? Maybe the man who was doing this was actually really a respected member of the church. You know, remember, we don't know the ages of these people just because he was with his stepmom. You know, who knows? Maybe she was younger. and I, Who knows? But what if he was somebody like that? Because we know, right? You know of church people who've sinned. I mean, we don't have to look very far to see sin in, in our own lives. I wonder, too, we wonder if they were maybe proud in their freedom in Christ. And Paul goes on to develop this idea later in the book that we are free in Christ, but don't take your freedom too far. Remember how he, we'll talk about that more later. But we wonder, what in the world is going on? Well, Paul doesn't goof around. He calls them out on their sin. He tells them, what's happening is more evil than the pagans. Now, this is the same Paul who just a few chapters earlier called them saints and holy ones and very spiritual and full of spiritual gifts. 
the thing I think we need to learn from this is unfortunately those two things can coexist. They're not mutually exclusive. We, Pastor has used this phrase recently that sometimes we think more legalistically than we care to admit. And what he means by that is we think that we get what we deserve, but we don't. But we think we do. So we think if we walk straight enough or try hard enough or are good enough, then we get all good things. But it doesn't work that way. The truth is you can be messing around with sin and then also it might look like God is blessing you. And don't get confused about those two things. Don't think in your mind that, hey, I'm getting away with it. Of course, you're not going to think of it like that. You're not going to say, I'm getting away with it. But you're going to be less likely to deal with your sin if for some reason you think that, oh, maybe things are going good in my business or maybe nobody notices this sin, that it's okay and I'm getting away with it. Those things were coexisting in this church. Look at, (laughs) he says to them, you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. He uses the word shame. Shame is one of those words we're not supposed to use anymore, isn't it? But there is a perfectly Christian, holy place for shame. Shame when it comes to sin. We should be ashamed of our sin. The things that we we do that we know are wrong, the, the times that we take advantage, those things we should be ashamed of. That's the proper place for it. And Paul says you should remove the brother. Why? Why is it such a big deal? Well, first of all, sin unchecked divides a church. And, and you know this if you think about it. You've seen it over and over. And I'm not talking about Crown Point necessarily. Any church you've ever been in, I've seen it since I was a kid. And we all know how it goes, right? You know about this little rumor. You know about this one person and whatever happened and it never got corrected and it just kind of grows. And he's going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But understand, this wasn't about vengeance. Paul didn't need to get back at anybody. Paul wasn't angry from a distance. He was doing this because he cared. What he's really attacking here at this moment is kind of the spirit of tolerance and and kind of euphemisms that we use even in today's culture. It's nothing new. It's nothing new where people, people tried to, you know, just get along and maybe it's not that big a deal. And tolerance has come to mean instead of A euphemism is when you kind of rename something that's really bad into kind of a more acceptable name. Like instead of calling it abortion, we call it, this is what my friend on the internet's also angry about, is reproductive rights. (laughs) So when we're talking about reproductive rights, I mean, we can talk about a lot of things, but that's a euphemism for something else. And the thing is, Paul wasn't going to mess around with that. He he wasn't going to play games with moral equivalence where we try to say that different things are are equally bad or he's not going to make justifications for the person's sin. None of that was going to happen. But in this, let me ask you a question. Are there then eternal universal standards? Did you know most of our world, in fact, most Christians in most churches in America couldn't tell you unequivocally that there are eternal universal standards? Here's what I mean by that that things are always, some things are always wrong for all time for all people groups. Now, standing here today, I'm sure most of you are saying, oh, I'm sure there are some things that people would all agree that are always wrong. 
but not necessarily because it's easy to look back into different cultures or different different things that have even happened in our last century that were heinous and we would say well how come nobody stopped it why didn't that you know why didn't those cultures recognize those things as evil i mean everything from i well everything from human sacrifice to to slavery to i mentioned you know abortion a minute ago are those things eternally universally wrong are they always wrong for all time here's what you need to understand God does have these eternal universal standards. Now, man always has wanted to set himself up and above those standards and make the decisions for themselves and our own rules. This goes back to the garden. When the enemy was tempting Eve, part of that temptation was, you'll be like God and you'll know right from wrong and you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. Basically, you can choose. You can make the rules for yourself. Paul speaks right to it, and then he says, even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. Does that sound fair to you? Most people reading this in our world today would say, uh, he has no right to do that. I mean, he's not there. He can't really know what's going on, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't they say that? I mean, who is he to judge? I mean, he, he doesn't really probably know the whole situation. There's probably extenuating circumstances, and they probably... You know, there's probably a good reason. Situational ethics and all, right? I mean, there's times where a lie is not a lie, right? Okay. Well, anyway, he says he's, gonna pass, he's already passed judgment. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church, and I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Man, that sounds tough, doesn't it? Can you, can you go along with this? Are you cool with this? What if, we got, what if you got this letter? What if you were in this church, this Corinthian church, and you got this letter from Paul? Now, he already had to correct the problem that, he, that they were having between who was on Paul's side and who was on Apollos and who was Peter's. Imagine if you were one of Paul, Apollos' guys, and when you read this, this would probably really make you mad, wouldn't it? And you heard this, and you're like, who does he think he is? He's there with them in spirit. Who he is, he, he's somebody who has an objective distance between what is happening there and then, and then the truth of what's going on. Because what really happens in life, more often, it, more often it's not about that we can't really know what's going on because we don't know all the details. Usually we can't see the forest for the trees. Isn't that more true? That usually you're so involved in the situation and so emotionally involved and emotionally attached that you can't make a good objective decision. Because if you could, if you could step away a little bit and get a little clarity, you would actually see that that's the right thing to do. That's what Paul does. He does it as a spiritual father. Years ago, I was working at these people's house and they had a little toddler. And he started making a run for the street. <clears throat> and I was working in the garden. And I reached out and I, I stopped him. And then he ran back. And then I was working on another side of the yard and I couldn't see him. And when he started to run for the street, the dad came out and just paddled him. And I thought, dang, he went a little overboard. And then the next time he did it, neither of us caught him. He didn't die, but he went right out in the street. And I could not run fast enough to grab him. And cars are coming and... I walked back with him, 
And you know, I feel I'm feeling the feeling now. Like you can't breathe, like you're flushed, and like I I was judging the dad because he was harsh in his discipline, but his discipline was out of love. He cared about his kid. Now I I've thought years later, why did you let your kid play in the driveway? <laughs> Put him in the backyard or something. But but the principle's the same. A father who cares is going to discipline because he cares. Not only that, the how many of you as a young, maybe high schooler, thought your parents just didn't get it? And they restricted you on this or that, and you thought, oh, they just, they're so uncool. And then as you get older, your parents get smarter. And you realize they saw things that you couldn't possibly seen. And they knew things you didn't know. And they knew about your friends and their friends' friends. And they knew those things. And it was the, that was the reason they were restricting you and telling you needed to go here or go there. And they had your best interest in mind. That's how Paul is dealing with this situation. He clearly sees the danger that this church isn't recognizing. For some reason, they're not seeing this as a problem. <laughs> and he tells them to call a church meeting. Whew. You ever had one of these? You ever been in one? Anybody? Oh, I have. And it is awkward. <laughs> I, remember why, I remember I visited a church once. I was from out of town. And I came into, actually, I came into Kansas City to visit some friends. And I just happened to walk into one of these. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I cannot believe what is happening right now. And the person who had been in a pastor had had a, uh, an affair. And they brought him up. And he confessed in front of the whole church. And I wanted to leave, but... It was, it was like you couldn't breathe. The air was so thick and still, and not a soul was moving, you know. And they went through this process of, of confession and, and, and um, forgiveness, and um, it was powerful. But we don't like it, right? But Paul says to do this. The whole congregation. Why, why that, you think? He had good reasons. I think one reason is the witness thing. He wanted everybody there. And he wanted everybody there for, for a few reasons. I think part of it was also cautionary to help them understand, hey, you might want not want to do this because this might happen to you. <laughs> that helps. Deterrence. I believe in deterrence. I think another part of it is we need to teach people what forgiveness looks like and what that painful process is like. Because we don't want to do it. Nobody's going to do it by choice. And it is awkward and it is frustrating. He not only said whole congregation, but I love that he said this, that I will be there in spirit. He, everything he writes in this letter reinforces the fact that he was their spiritual father. He loved them. He loved them through all of this. In his discipline, he loved them. And as they were, they were carrying out his... his uh, his instructions to do this discipline, he said, I will be there with you. In the last two weeks, I've prayed with two moms in our congregation whose daughters are moving to another state, one another country. Their hearts are there with them now. I, you know, with uh, Valentine's Day yesterday, there was a lot of traffic on the internet, you know, about love and whatnot. And one of the things I read that 
that I thought was uh, interesting. It says love is, um, uh, love is when your heart is in another person. Or Anybody know that saying? I can't even think of it now. But talking about how, like our kids, it's like our heart is there with them. A piece of us is there. That's what Paul is saying. He's there in spirit. But he also said Jesus' power would be there. We don't often think of discipline as a Jesus power thing, do we? We tend to think of Jesus' power thing as the prayer we had right up here and maybe the worship, right? And someone, all those people getting saved in Illinois. But you don't often think of Jesus' power and discipline. But Paul didn't write this by accident. He wrote it on purpose because discipline can be a powerful, powerful teacher. A powerful teacher. Something that can correct and and make us new. Again, he passed judgment when he wasn't even there. And I, I did think about why. Why? What gave him the right to do that? Possibly, quite possibly, he knew this guy. Quite possibly, he already had the report. And the full report was that he was unteachable as we talked about last week, unwilling to take instruction from his pastors. Quite possible. Quite possible he was unrepentant and that he was living in sin and flagrantly and blatantly and unrepentant. What Paul is talking about here is something that, you know, we used to hear a lot about this tough love thing, but I think a lot of people have kind of wussed out on it and found out it's really tough. You know, tough love's supposed to be tough on the kids. It's tougher on the parents. I've watched a lot of parents go through it. It's hard to do. But you only do it because you love them and because you realize that if, if, if young people, if us as people, adults, if we don't feel the consequences for our misbehavior, our mistakes, and our sins, we're probably not going to change and grow. If we continually protect kids or churches in this case from the consequences, then unfortunately you're going to retard their growth. They're not going to learn how to deal with these things and how to learn and how to grow. They're not going to become more mature because you've protected them from the consequences. Yes, this discipline situation is awkward. Yes, it's, I mean, I, I read this and I, I just try to imagine what must that have been like? I mean, I've, like I've said, I've sat in churches where this has happened modern times. And I just wonder in this congregation how difficult this might have been. But when it comes down to it, what's better, the truth and the consequences or denying that it's even there and washing it under the carpet, un- sweeping it under the carpet. Because Paul goes on to talk about it. The goal here is always restoration. It's not cruelty. He's not trying to be mean. He's trying to restore. That is, that is a loving thing, which, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. In verse number six, he says, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is, is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing the wicked person from among you. Then you will be like fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. <laughs> Do you hear what he called them? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. They were literally boasting about it. I don't understand this, and Paul doesn't give us a lot of information about this, what this boasting looked like. Like I said before, perhaps it was because they were boasting in their freedom in Christ. Perhaps they were boasting in the fact that they weren't judgmental. We don't know for sure, but we know that they were boasting. Maybe they were proud of being tolerant. We don't know. Church discipline. Why is it we don't see it today very much? 
Is there less sin today? <laughs> I haven't heard lately of somebody, you know, living with their stepmom. But I've heard other things. I mean, it happens, right? Things happen. Let's talk about that yeast issue. When Paul talks about that yeast issue, do you, anybody a baker? Anybody bake bread or anything, rolls? or You see that happen where the, it grows? Do you know how it works? I don't want to be gross or anything, but do you know what it is? I mean, you know, yeast is like a microorganism, and it literally grows inside the bread, and it literally reproduces, and the gas that comes from it reproducing is what creates the air that makes it rise, and it literally grows and spreads through the entire batch of dough, and that's what makes it rise. Now, what Paul is saying is you have to get that yeast out of there, completely out of there. And what he said, he even gave him a little compliment. He said, stay with the new, the new batch, which is what you are. He's reminding him, guys, you left all that old sin stuff a long time ago. Now you're new. Don't go back to the old ways. Stay with what is new, the freedom that you have in Christ. And what he's trying to say is that sin that spreads through is going to do the same thing in your church. He didn't go into detail here, so this is my conjecture. But think about this for a minute. How many churches don't deal with some of the issues that we have? Because we're people, right? And churches are full of messy people, so we have messy churches, right? How many churches, do you wonder, have problems like this? And because they haven't dealt with it, that yeast has spread through the church. Maybe, maybe it's criticism. Have you ever been around people like that? They're critical and it just spreads. Have you been around people that are maybe cynical? Maybe they're a- angry, unhappy. I mean, there's so many things, you know, short of sin, you know, like, like it's described here. But how many churches do you wonder that God cannot bless? Do you hear what I said? Cannot. Because they're not living free of the sin. Because they won't take it out and live in the new life that he has had for them. I mean, think about it for a minute. God still blesses. But if we had those issues taken care of and we were living closer to him, how much more he would be doing? I mean, we don't know. We don't know the answer to that. It's like trying to prove a negative. But I wonder, how much more would he be doing in the church? I'm talking about the church universal, every church, if those sins were rooted out. And if people were really living for Christ and would get rid of those things. Amazing just to think about. Um, Let's talk about legalism for a minute. Legalism, like I said earlier, is, is when we put rules over relationship, when we think that acting right is the most important thing. Paul is not advocating that. He's not advocating here external holiness over internal holiness, just the opposite. But sometimes people fall into that, into that mistake, don't we? I grew up in that. I grew up in a time where it was more about the external and the way you looked, and that if you looked right and you know, don't, don't smoke, what was it, drink, smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. If you, if you don't do any of that, then you're Christian, you're holy. And unfortunately, when someone would say, what kind of church, or where do you go to church, what's your church like, all I could say, it just came out naturally, well, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't. I didn't talk about Christ and the wholeness and the fullness of who he is and the relationship that we have with him and forgiveness and grace and all those wonderful things that I know fully now. But at the time growing up, all I really knew was the legalism. And what's sad is the world has tagged us with that, and, and un- unfortunately, they're right to do so, because a lot of times that's all they know about us. 
They don't know the truth about what the gospel is because so often we're caught up in those things. But that's not what Paul was doing. It wasn't about that for him. Again, his whole intention in this chapter is health and restoration. That's what he wants to see happen. And he goes on to say that Christ's sacrifice, if you don't take care of this sin, that Christ's sacrifice, you're, you're acting as if Christ's sacrifice meant nothing. Think about that. Now, we've seen some songs today that talk about that for a little bit, like that one song that talks about, you know, about, you know, I think about my sin, putting him on the cross, and there's so many times we, we go through those thoughts, but if we act like his sacrifice didn't mean anything, oh, the depth of that. Now, he talked about celebrating the Passover with the yeast. Let me just tell you what that's about, because it's, it's fascinating, really, and it's something that... I wonder why he told them this, because it's a Jewish thing. Think about that. These are Corinthians. They're Greeks. What would they know about the Passover? Unless Paul had told them about it, and he probably did, because Christ coming as the Passover lamb was such, such a fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. So he may have told them this, but when he mentions the celebration and he talks about the yeast, do you remember how in the Passover back in, back in Moses, you know, delivering them from the, peop the people of the Jews from Egypt, remember how they were going to kill the lamb and they didn't have time to make bread that would rise, so they made unleavened bread? That's why we eat the crackers today with no yeast in it. So they, the Jews actually would do, part of the Passover celebration is, they symbolically search the house for yeast and then throw out any yeast that they find. So some families will actually hide it and make it part of the symbolism so kids will run around and look for yeast. Now, of course, they weren't using yeast packets like we use today, but, but they would find the yeast and throw it out. Do you see the symbolism? That's what Paul is telling us to do. Search out the yeast, the sin that's in our lives, and throw it out. That's what he's saying. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, this I wrote to you before. Remember, we talked about how we have... We have 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but most scholars think it's 2nd and 3rd or 2nd and 4th, that there was an earlier letter, obviously, that we don't have. We don't know what it was about or what was said in it. But evidently, one of the things he did say is to not associate people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. <laughs> I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Maybe Maggie's right. Maybe that church was more wild than us because those are the people he's talking to and he's saying that they've got people like that and he's saying don't associate with them in your church. Can't leave the world. He says, by nature, people in the world are involved in sin. I do this all the time to my friends who aren't, aren't married or maybe they're dating or especially young people. They tell me, hey, I'm seeing somebody or I found somebody. You know, the first thing I ask them is, oh, that's great. Are they a Christian? Just standard question. And if they say, I don't know, <laughs> then I laugh at them and say, they're probably not or you're not. So how do you not know that? How, do you, how can you know this person be dating and not know that? I mean, what, where are we at here? 
And then the next thing we talk about is, well, then I would expect him to want what the world wants, right? They sin. That's how it works. And it's not very complicated. Galatians 5, another Paul, Paul wrote this book to the church in Galatia. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, now just tell me if this doesn't sound like people in the world. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, we see it everywhere. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. By nature, the world is involved in sin. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Here's the surprise that Paul's saying anybody who does that list that's in the church, don't associate with them. <laughs> that's quite a church. Unfortunately, most of us live in this Christian bubble, though, don't we? How many people do you really know in the world? Here Paul is saying, I wasn't talking about them because you, otherwise you'd have to leave the world. Did you hear me? We're not supposed to leave the world. If we're not rubbing shoulders with people who aren't walking with Christ, then how do they find out about Christ? How do they know? Now, I'm not saying indulge in the things they indulge in, but what I'm saying is Paul here assumed that they would be living in the world. Otherwise, how, is, how are they going to affect it? How are they going to reach it? How are they going to tell people about the good news if they don't live in the world? The difference and the issue that he was dealing with was sin in the church. So isn't my responsibility, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. My friend on the Internet has accused me of being judgmental. And I expect him to say that because somehow he thinks that absolves him of sin or responsibility for his sin. So I took the time to explain to him, no, I think you've got this wrong. I'm actually told to judge first me. Me. I'm supposed to judge me first. Then we are literally supposed to judge each other in the church. Why would Paul tell us that? Doesn't that sound like a recipe for disaster? Not if you do it in love and not if your intention is wholeness and healing and trying to help people live this life together. Not if you're a man who's serious about living for Christ and wants to be part of a group where you give a guy permission to speak into your life like that. Not in those circumstances. Paul goes on here and he says, God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Here's the sad thing for my friend. On the inter- we're not, he's, he doesn't think of me as a friend, but my friend who I'm praying for on the internet, God, unfortun- I mean, unfortunately, he's already judged. His life is, is sinful without repentance, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him saved. But God takes care of that part. The problem really is the hypocrisy, and I, I expected him to call me judgmental, because that's the church's reputation, unfortunately, isn't it? Everybody wants consistency. We're again entering a political season, and what we're going to hear is a lot of gotchas, and this person said this one thing, but they voted for this, and they said this, but they voted for this, right? What is that? I think it's human nature that we want people to be consistent. 
We want what they say to match up with what they do. That's a normal thing. And what Paul is saying to this church is hypocrisy is an evil thing. Don't let it get inside your church and root it out as fast as possible because the world is watching. They watch everything we do and they look for any excuse to not believe it's true. Because if we give them that excuse, then they don't have to listen to the message and they don't have to respond to it. And unfortunately, they can shut you down. (laughs) I love this. Hypocrisy is when you, what? Yes. You catch them, he cleans them. I like that because what we're really called to the world to help them know what this truth is that we love and we enjoy and the freedom in Christ and then let God work on them once they're here. Matthew 18, I'm not going to put it up there on the screen, but, but there is a right way for us to do confrontation in the church. And I don't want anybody going out of here just, you know, <laughs> accusing everybody of sin. It's supposed to work like this. Matthew 18, very clearly, Jesus says, if, if we have an issue with a brother, that we're supposed to go to him personally. And if we can clear it up, then again, the goal is restoration. Then you have won a brother, it says. Then he says, if that doesn't work, take one or two people with you. And then if that doesn't work, do what Paul is saying to do here. My guess is that was already tried with this man in the church. But that's how Christian reconciliation is supposed to work. Supposed to work. So what is Paul saying? Remove them. When's the last time somebody got removed from a church? Hopefully not very often. Hopefully it never comes to this. Hopefully this is a very rare thing. That's why I think that this circumstance had to be rare because this is the only example in Scripture we have of this. We have, a, we have multiple examples of other issues in different churches, but this is the one thing. I would hope it's very rare. But again, the whole intention is growth, healing, and change. <clears throat> if I didn't think people changed, I would not be in this business. I've seen change in me. I've seen change in a lot of people. I know God does this. One of the things that this church is known for is being a healing place, a place where people come and God helps heal and put them together. That was what Paul was, his objective was in this portion of scripture. That is what the church is supposed to be for. It's not just about calling out sin and throwing him out to the wolves. Remember what Paul said? If he's out there, what's going to happen through this tough love is he's going to realize that this sin is not what he wants for his life and part of his life, and he's going to come back and be part of this body again. If you don't deal with the problems, it's like irrigating them. They just grow. For goodness sake, let me tell you one more thing, one more reason that we have to do this as a church, the church, Christians. We have to do it for the good people. Here's, here's what I'm saying. So many times when, when we as a church see something that's not being dealt with, it communicates that it's not important, we don't care about sin, and it's not worth playing by the rules. On the other hand, when those things are dealt with in a proper way, in a healing, holistic, restoration type way, then we know that there's hope for us. Because none of us are perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all stumble. These, this particular case is definitely something where, where this person was, was way beyond all of that. He was somebody who was not repentant and far away from God. 
So here's how we're going to end the service tonight. I want to pray with you, and I'm just going to close in prayer, and that will be our benediction tonight. But as we do that, if you would just shut your eyes for a second, I just have a couple questions to ask you. The first one is this. Again, this is with your eyes closed, and I'm not doing this because I'm doing it just so you can be alone with you and God. I'm not even asking you to raise your hand. What I want to know, though, rhetorically asking you, have you been wounded by something like this in the church? Has something, as we've talked about this, maybe you saw something go uncorrected or there was sin that you maybe were involved in and then need to repent of? Is At some point, were you wounded in some of this? God is about healing and restoration. My second question is this. Where are you in that healing and restoration? Has, have you let God work in you and perform what he wants to perform in you. That's what he wants. He wants a church that's vibrant and whole and loving and works together like that. Would you stand with me tonight? As I pray for us and, and send you out, my prayer for you is going to be that God works in us and, and puts in us that healing and wholeness that we all need so desperately. I'm going to also pray because I'm not aware of anybody sleeping with their stepmom. But I'm going to pray that God would root that yeast, that sin out of us, whatever it is, whatever it is. That should be all of our prayer. Father, I thank you again that you you care for us like Paul cared for that.